If you want your team stacked with humble, outcome-driven, technically capable people, then you'll want to set up a CLEAR review. CLEAR stands for Complementary Leadership Evaluation and Review, and we created it for teams and technology leaders just like you. So here's what you'll leave the CLEAR review with. A clear step-by-step -step plan tailored to your exact situation. Tactical insights on how you can apply these skills immediately and a review of your leader's abilities so you can see how your team stacks up to 500 other teams that are just like yours. And we'll answer all of your questions about how to create better leaders faster. Remember, great leaders grow companies. Visit leaderbits.io forward slash clear to set up your clear review today. Today we are talking to Mike Anderson, the CTO and co-founder at Telium and we discuss how tribal knowledge is vital in engineering, tips for having candid conversations with your team members, and how to achieve bigger goals than you ever thought possible. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Mike. Joel, how are you? Fantastic, buddy. How are you? You looking nah, sharp? Thank you. I'm getting ready to roll this morning. I love the green screen background of the, <laughs> the hotel room. <laughs> of the Minneapolis downtown hotel. Yes. So, first of all, I'd like to compliment you again on the offices. Like your offices are by far the most beautiful thing. It's like they're like art. That's good. That's really good. I mean, we. Um, when we when we started the business, we were we were only three people. We were pressured by our first venture team to to move to the Bay Area. They said you guys should move up to the Bay Area, and we said no. We want to try to do this thing in San Diego, and uh, and San Diego is a great town. Um, but we we designed our first office, and our first office was a little was a little stiff. It was very functional, uh, but it was if kind of a, an engineer had designed it. Uh, and then the second time around when we were growing so much, we moved into to a second building. We thought we're going to spend the extra time. Uh, we had, we had some designers. We had a lot of people just put in their input as to what we wanted. And, and yeah, we tried to build something that we thought would be, uh, uh, would be really nice and, and really appealing for people to, to come work. And, uh, and then we we started taking advantage of in San Diego, the, uh, uh, we're hosting events now. We just did a girls in tech event last week and uh, we've hosted job fairs and things like that. So it's, I, I'm really proud of it. It's a great place. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, is there a way people like, do you have pictures on your website of it? You know, I think we do in the, uh, in the job area. I mean, we, I okay. think we, I think we use it as a, as a recruiting area, but uh, I know we were, we were showcased in tech cribs a couple years ago. Uh, I haven't heard of that before. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, look it up, Tech Cribs. It's pretty self-explanatory if you grew up. <laughs> <laughs> Especially where you are too, right? There's a lot yeah. of cribs out there. Oh yeah, because you know, it was funny watching that show. Uh, so many of the celebrities would buy houses in like Miami or Florida, like on the coast, on the water. And so, yeah, definitely lots of, lots of really cool cribs out here. But, but the way your office is set up on that hill, where you can yeah. see the, the uh, other hill, like it's just, uh, it's like out of a movie. It's 
yeah, it's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm happy with it. So that's that's where you guys are today. But let's take it back to to you and your first experience with technology. Like, how did you fall in love with technology? So I uh, I fell in love with technology because I. I needed to figure out something to do after I realized I wasn't going to be a professional musician. And uh, uh, I, I got tired of living in my mom and dad's house and, uh, and thought I've got to do something else. So I, I actually took a, uh, just took a programming class at a junior college. And I mean, again, I'm probably like 26, 27 at this point. Um, took a programming class, uh, was pretty good at it, had a, had a flair for it. We had uh, we had a competition within the class to write uh, write a program that would play Battleship against another student, and it would have to try to pick what the best algorithm was to detect where the ships were and blow them up. and uh, And I won the competition, and so oh, nice. um, so it was it was something that I was I st- I started to get pretty passionate about, and uh, I thought this could work, and so I went to college for it. Uh, and then it, everything just happened so fast. I, my, my senior year of college, my, the second semester, uh, there was a company nearby that was hiring some junior people. And so I, uh, I applied, I ironically got the job and, uh, started working as a junior engineer. I hadn't graduated college yet, but then it was literally probably six weeks later that, uh, I got a speeding ticket driving into work. And, uh, and I thought traffic school is, is something you can do in the state of California. There's probably other, there is other places around the, around the country that you can, but it was always like a detention for adults or timeout for bad drivers. It is. It is right. And you can get like comedian ones and they're, they're fun sometimes. But, um, but I thought to myself, this would be so cool if you could do traffic school over the internet. And, uh, a guy was sitting right next to me and he said, that's a really good idea. And we should start this business. And so we, so I went from immediately working as a junior engineer to becoming a founder within like six weeks. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's been the last 20 years for me. Wow. That's exciting, man. Yeah. So it was, it was a great, uh, the traffic school was a great company. Um, you know, it was, it was that it had that startup energy where it was literally coding around the clock. I, I would, I would get up at 7 a.m. and, and uh, be in the office by 8. I would code all day. I was the only one running the business. My two partners kept their jobs. And then they would show up about 5 o'clock. And me and another guy, we would code until about, until about 10 o'clock at night. We would go home. I'd wake up with insomnia at about 2 a.m. and code till about 3.30. And then go back to sleep. And, and we did that. We did that seven days a week for six months. The only, the only change we made was that we cut out on Sunday nights at eight o'clock so we could go home and watch The Sopranos. That's that's what we did. Important, and that was that was our thing. Yeah. Now, did you like shower at the YMCA like Musk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, it was probably a lot of um, bad dietary choices back then. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> But you did what what needed to be done to get to where you wanted to be. Yeah. And that's super respectable. Now, the company that you founded now that's been around since, what, 2008? 2008. Uh, 2008. That is not the online traffic school. That's, That's, yeah. That's Telium. What was the inspiration behind Telium? 
So, so the, the, so I left the traffic school after about four years and I had made the decision that I was a really good startup, startup CTO, startup entrepreneur, and this company needed to grow. And so I, I bowed out. I, I like to think I bowed out gracefully and, and uh, told my partners, we need to bring somebody else to take this, the, another, the next leg of the race. And uh, I took a year off. I didn't do anything for a year. I got a dog and pajamas and that was it. Um, and so I tried to figure out what I wanted to do next. And, uh, and I started researching this, this San Diego company called Website Story, which did real-time analytics. And I thought that's very interesting for me. And I felt like, uh, I felt like that, was where the, that was where the puck was going. And so that was where I wanted to skate to. So, uh, so I went there, got a job there, and uh, did that for a number of years, was, uh, was very successful there. I was as a, as a, as a normal contributor. Um, I was just on the engineering team, but I quickly w made it onto the architecture team. Uh, did that, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, our, our competitor, a company out of Utah called Omniture, comes in and buys us, right? Very, very unexpected. And uh, this, was, this was probably around October 2007, and uh, I thought, this is, first off, it's hard when you get bought by a competitor because you've competed against them so much. Uh, but the second piece of it was they were based out of Utah. They were, they were going to run everything out of Utah. And, and I like to be kind of a, a heartbeat kind of guy. So I like to be where the, where the action is happening, where the decisions are being made. And I thought, I'm not, I'm from San Diego. I'm not moving to Utah. So, so that was, uh, it was an easy choice to, uh, <clears throat> to kind of look at, at something else. And then I started looking at some of the strategy that they were thinking about doing and what they were, what they were thinking was, uh, this was really going to be a rip and replace strategy where they were going to have me in particular, because I knew both, both software platforms have me rip the website, sorry, software out from their existing customers, which was about a thousand customers and just put the new Omniture software in place. And I thought this, this just isn't very customer friendly and never works. It, 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 it doesn't work. And the, the thing that worried me at the time was I did not think that ultimately the combined entity got bought by Adobe for about 1.7 or $1.8 billion. Um, I thought that they were going to get bought, but I didn't think that they were going to get bought. I would have never guessed Adobe, but I thought Oracle was going to buy them. And then I thought, here's, here's a, a company that has an extremely fixed schema because of their relational database uh, platform. And I thought, I'm just going to be doing this again with, another, with the same set of customers where I'm going to be doing a rip and replace. I'm going to rip out the Omniture code that I just spent a year putting in place. And then I'm going to put in place some Oracle code. So I, was, I didn't think that was good for customers. And I didn't think that was a good plan. And, and you're right. I don't know that it ever works. Well, it's, it's always expensive. And it takes a lot of time. And then yeah. it's like, just change the logo and like make the UI slightly different. But yeah. don't rip out everything. I mean, just buy them for the revenue and the brand. And then, then you get, then you get to the point where you never quite get to parity either, where it's like, Oh, you know, well with this solution, I had this and this and this, where, where do I see that? Where do I get that? Oh, and then it's just a big letdown for everybody. And they don't, they don't focus on what they're getting, but they really heavily focus on what they, what they're missing. And that's after the data team rips their hair out with the ETL for like six months. 
Yeah, yeah, ex- right? exactly. Right, right, right. And the technology people are pissed and they, they're, they're upset about it. Um, so we tried to devise a better way that we thought would be more customer centric. And so we, we created Telium to, uh, to really insulate and future proof customers from having to do this rip and replace by instead of using proprietary deployment techniques for a software vendor, they would use they would just use their own sort of germane data set and data definitions. And then we would, we would use mapping techniques to map the data to where it needed to go. So uh, I think it's held up and it, I, it's still, I think it, I think we were right. So, so you, you leave, leave website story after the acquisition. Yeah. Instead of doing the rip and replace. You go over to Telium and you, you start building this empire and what's the core uh, function of Telium. So, as as when we started Telium, i i had a I had an affinity for for the customer side of things. Uh, I I was an engineer at Website Story, but I was always on the edge of getting on customer calls and going and seeing customers because I was helping them with their deployments and their implementations. So I had always had that that customer facing gene, so to speak, you know, not many engineers have it. I think more engineers need to have it, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a switch that flips somewhere in your career. And once it flips, it never goes back. And and I think some of the most successful engineers are the ones that can sit in front of customers and actually, actually, I mean, I'd love it when an engineer can do a little bit of a sales pitch. I think that's just amazing. Uh, But my my strategy there was was i wanted to look at i was looking at these other businesses i was looking at the way that they that they had done things in the traditional you know oh well at oracle we did this and well at salesforce we did this and i thought i want to do this a little bit differently i want to i want to reinspect the factory on this and uh the first thing was normally customer success and sales are very tethered together and i I didn't like that model. I, you know, sales guys are sales guys and they have a great job and they're very important, but you don't always want to talk to somebody who was trying to sell you something, especially when you're dealing with software. And so I thought about it and I wanted to couple customer success with engineering. And I thought this is going to give me much better feedback into the product. This is going to let me know what the customers are thinking. And it's also going to bind engineering to the customer success organization, knowing that they're part of the same team. And so when a customer is unhappy or software is not working quite the way that they want it to, or they want some new features, I I have engineers to, to fall back on. And so for me, uh, that was, that was maybe the big core strategy that, that I put in place, uh, early on was that I wanted to own all aspects of, of the product and how the customers use them. And then we would, we would figure out how to, how to link sales and, and uh, customer success when it came time to do upsells and renewals. So why do people buy from Telium? Like what's your core offering? So if you go back, if you go back like 10 years, People, people had bought into this idea that they needed analytics and they needed to have insight into what was going on on their website, on their mobile apps, uh, maybe even some of the advanced people in, in their stores. And that was, that was sort of the de facto solution. And uh, we, we really helped 
pioneer that market. And so we understand it very, very well. Then what you've seen is you've just seen this explosion of vendors that provides technology solutions that use that sort of same data collection technique, which is sort of the, the, the direct pixel um, that's making a, a web request back to some sort of collection system and then, and then compiling and putting all that data together for analysis. And so what, what we saw was, and, and you wouldn't believe the, the growth, it went to where uh, there were 500 companies in a year and now today there's probably seven or 8,000, maybe even more. And there's, there's these Loomiscape slides that people have put together that have just, they're not even an eye chart anymore. You need, you know, you need a, a microscope to be able to see all the vendor names on it, but they just shoved all the vendor logos into this and it just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, uh, the logo sizes. And, and so um, there's just a lot of vendors out there. And, and as you would imagine, the, the world is starting to get to where it runs on data and understanding who your customers are and, and trying to build a better experience for them it, that requires you to understand that data. And so everybody's, everybody's doing it. Uh, but no, but everybody's, everybody wants this data. And so now you get to a situation where the, the, the deployment or the, uh, the launching of all this software is, is a really difficult task. And so when, when you go back, you go back 10 years, people had one or two, maybe three software vendors running on their websites, running on their, their mobile apps. Now that now it's like 90 that they're, that they're using. And it's, it's incredibly complicated and it's typically driven by the marketing and the BI and the, the data science and the, and the data analytics areas of the team, which don't necessarily always have the, the engineering capabilities to deploy, especially on the, the client-facing products. So our software comes in and helps companies just do data orchestration, build a solid foundation of data, and then orchestrate where that goes to any and all of the vendors that you, that you need. We, we help, you know, we, we sort of help companies build their data stack. I've, so I've noticed a couple of companies that are similar, at least from the sales website, uh, like yours come out and come into the market like in the past two or three years. I know you've been around since 2008, but this this uh, data collection, universal data collection idea, um, but what I see is that they're mostly like service services because you have to have a lot of understanding of how to collect the data. So when if I'm like a company and like, let's, let's just use Leaderbits for example, right? Yep. And I'll just, you can tell me if I'm wrong. This will just be for fun, right? So we've got these things where like uh, guides get downloaded, people visit the website, like all these different events happen everywhere. And it's been like ridiculously um, difficult to to tie everything together because we're using Zapier and we're sending stuff everywhere. And it's like, so is that something that you guys saw? It, it, it actually is. It, it's exactly what we do. Um, the, the idea is, is all of these, all of these solutions that you're trying to use, they need data. And so we say, listen, let's put all the data in one place and let's make that data available to everybody. And I joke with my CEO hates it when I say this, but if we get the data wrong, at least it's consistent across all your systems. Um, but but the idea is let's get all the data in one place. And, and there's all kinds of benefits of that where, 
where engineers have to do a little bit less work and it's a little bit more under more understandable for them to to get this data foundation in place and then then hopefully what we start to do is is just sort of breed this this culture where companies realize okay I know that I need to do this. I, need, I know that I need to measure it. I know that I need to interact with my customers. So I need to have a data foundation that's, that describes the application, the customer, the product, whatever it might be. And so that's where we sit to just help build them. There's this foundation of data. And then from there, it's how do I share the data with the vendors that need it? How do I provide a single source of the truth for my visitor profiles so that I don't have a... Uh, you know, I don't have a, a definition of a customer in system A and a definition of customer in, in system B. We want to have a we want to have a definition. If I were looking at, at leader bits and I just built a very simple identity uh, capability of like what a VIP customer is, maybe someone that is a subscriber of leader bits is is a VIP customer. Understanding who that customer is and, and they and that they are a VIP customer across all of your various systems is important. And there's a lot of companies that, that can't even do that. Um, but then the idea is, if I, if I talk with your email targeting team, they may have a different definition of who a VIP customer is. And if I talk to your social or ad tech teams or your, or your on-site personalization teams, they all may have different definitions of who a VIP customer is. And so do you find that, like when you go to do these integrations and work with these companies that you end up smoothing that out for them? We really do. We, we, we not only smooth it out, but then we start to accentuate and we start to add on to it by doing persona exercises and, and saying, okay, well, let's look at um, the number, the, let's look at the types of customers that you want to interact with. And in most cases, what you'll see is you'll, you'll talk to, um, even in some cases, some very, very large and some very well-funded um, retailers, as an example, that say that before Telium, we were able to create four audiences and we were able to target those four audiences. And that's what, that's what they had done for the 18 months before Telium was in place. When Telium was in, when Telium became in place within the first six months, they had taken that audience up to 96. This is, this is an actual example of, of a, um, of a San Francisco retailer. And so um, multi-brands, very, very big store, um, they close the gap on clothing. Let's just say that. But, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the idea is it's really great to see when you see the, the marketers and the data people struggle to understand their customers and define who their customers are and, and only be able to get a certain number of audiences created. And then after our software is in place, it's, it's exponential what they're able to do. I'm going to look more into that because like, it's just been really interesting nav like it's funny because i'm an engineer right so like i grew up writing web code mostly yeah. and then when i some i don't know it just happened like life happens so fast now i have like you said i've got like 20 js files for like each different little thing i need and i tried piping data back and forth but uh, yeah i'll definitely definitely look more one of the other interesting things i was looking at was like video percentage watch like I want to yeah. be able to develop like, all right, this person downloaded a guide. They visited the site three times. They've watched 60% of these videos. But the thing is like everything's so proprietary, like Vimeo does have it or Wistia has it, but Vimeo doesn't, but like this company does. And then you're having to include, you have to change your video service, include their stuff, Zapier. It's just, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's, 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 it is absolutely a lot of work and, and there's continuity challenges and you're right. No software solution is going to have everything that you, that you want to have. 
Um, and that honestly, some of the benefit that we have at Telium is, is rather than putting a sort of a proprietary implementation technique directly in your web or mobile properties, you put, you put a generic one like, like Telium that's very self-describing. And then it, you know, you may decide, Hey, this is the best video analytics company for me today. But in two years, they've stopped innovating and there's a new company that's coming that you're really, really excited about the idea to go back and, and change to rip and replace that proprietary code on the page and put a new one with Telium, You just go in and flip a switch and say, I'm done with this vendor. I want to add this vendor. And then this is the setup. This is my account and you're ready to go. It's, it's literally a number of clicks to get something up and running. So you guys a billion dollar company yet? Um, depending on who you ask, uh, <laughs> you little unicorn going on. I, I, uh, Baby unicorn. Right? Yeah, you're right. Right. We're, we're like a, a quarter horse unicorn. Quarter <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, um, we're close. I think we're, we're close. So you're, so you're right in the middle of this growth, uh, scale phase, right? You got the startup growth scale phase. So when you, the team that you had when you started in 08, right? Did they have all the qualities that you need today? Like, how does that difference? So it, yeah, this is this is this is now starting to become my my sort of mantra that I firmly, firmly, firmly believe in. Uh, and I learned a lot of it with with my first traffic school business because I realized very much that I was a startup guy and I was not a growth guy and not a scale guy. Um, it's an interesting, I think it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting part of tech in that when you look at a sales or in, comparatively to a sales organization or comparatively to a marketing organization, the, the continuity is not as required, right? With sales, you get a guy that comes in who's a scrappy sales guy and he helps start your sales team and launch it and get it ready to go. Then you bring in a little bit more polished guy that's, that's run this much business at this kind of a company. And then you bring in somebody big that's done it at Salesforce or Oracle or, or SAP or something, something like that. But the, the continuity is not essential. You can ramp a rep and you can get them going and you can put them in at the right time. Marketing is very similar, right? You can take some of the marketing slogans from four or five years ago, but they don't, they don't really mean anything today. It's, it's, it's a little bit of there. They feel a little bit stateless in comparison to tech where in tech, you just can't say, Hey, I'm just going to reboot my entire engineering team and start it all over. Right. There's a, a tribal knowledge is valuable in engineering. So, so the idea is how do you look at, engineers and hire the ones that have those startup skills that you need in the early days and then how do you invest in those employees to make sure that they understand how they need to change their behaviors to become a growth technologist and then to become a scale technologist and that's 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 an area where i have some very candid conversations with my my engineering leaders, even, even my individual contributors on the team. And I say, listen, we're, you're, you're, you're great for this portion of the company, but we're moving into this next area. I need you to start doing more things like this. I need you to read these books. I need you to sign up for things like leader bits. We just, yeah. you know, we're a customer now. Um, Thank but, you. But that's, you're welcome. Thank you. But we're, um, we're, we're investing in, 
um, in our technology people because you, you do need to have that continuity. Uh, I'm fortunate that we're, we started the company in 2008, but we weren't really funded until 2011. And so I'm coming up on about eight years of funding and I'm going to be celebrating a lot of eight year anniversaries with, with the technology guys that I hired as soon as I got that money. So I've had guys with me for the entire ride. So some of these individuals have been able, when you sat down, you had these candid conversations with them about their areas, where their walls are, where their boxes, um, that they've been able to read the books and learn the skills and grow themselves to, to stay on the train. It's, it's, it is. It, 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 now, it hasn't always been a first-class seat on the train. There have been right. times where, where their head's been hanging out the window and, uh, uh, you know, the wind's been blowing pretty heavily. But, um, but yeah, we, we've uh, – it, it's my job, I, I think, it, to, to take these guys and to, and to use some of my history of where, where my skill set broke down and, and sort of capped out to, to just be transparent with these people and say, look, this is what we need to do. And we, need, we, we can't do things like this anymore. We have to do it this way. Um, and, you know, not all of them make it, but, but I've been very fortunate that most of, them, most of them have made it. The thing I like about you is that you had these direct conversations and you visualized with it, you know, by drawing the box and showing them where, where the company is at and where you believe their experience is at, you gave them the option and the insight to then go, you put the ball in their court where yeah. if they wanted to put in the work, they had the opportunity. And the reason why I like to call that out and point that out with you is because I've seen a lot of inexperienced leaders not know how to articulate that or identify it. And instead they just say that person will never be, and then they move on or they try to look for, to something else. They don't even bring up the conversation or have, have that opportunity presented. You know, when you, and there's some of it that, that's, that's maybe, um, there may be a little bit of cowardice in the way that I do it. Um, in that when you, when you start a company and you, you are, you know, I can't even afford to take these people out to lunch in the early days. Right. I mean, it's just like, just get them on the phone and, and I'm begging them to come work for my company. Um, and I'm telling them it's a risk. And I know you've got, I know you've got a wife and I know you've got kids and, and this is a big risk and I can't pay you. I can just promise this, this stock option future, which is going to take a decade to pay out. Um, I, first off, you get good at sales at that point when you start trying to acquire talent. Um, but the idea behind it is, is that a lot of these people took took a big risk and took a took a bet. They they bet on me to come over, and I owe it to them to bet on them and invest in them to keep them around as long as I possibly can, even if it means moving people to other jobs. And that's that's kind of the beautiful thing when you're in a growth phase of a company that that a lot of times you can just create new jobs and say, you know what, you're going to be really good at this, so I'm creating this job because that's where your passion lies and that's where your skill set lies. No, I, I love it. I love, um, I first started reading about that from Netflix about how they were doing that really well in their culture. And that was one of the, I know they have like that, uh, you know, infamous deck, right. With like all these things about them, but yeah. the coolest thing I've taken from them or that I've seen the market sort of replicate or start to do is this idea that you can go on these like 
different missions. Your, your job is flexible within the organization if you speak up. And I like that because I think that's a good way to keep people on board. Uh, it, it is. It, it really is. I had, I had a guy, there's a, there's a guy that I worked with a website story. He was, uh, he was the QA engineer for my component. So we were, we've worked very closely together for the last 16 years. And uh, he was, he, he was one of the guys that I didn't have to sell to come to work with Telium. He was begging me about every month to give him a job uh, because he wanted to work together again. And so a couple of years in, he came up to me and he said, man, he said, I got to tell you, he said, this is, this is absolutely the most perfect job I could ever want. This, this job just fits me so perfectly. And I said, um, yeah, that's because I made the job around who you are, right? It's, it's not like I, I wrote up a job listing and thought, oh man, this guy's going to be perfect for this. It was, I knew what your skill set was. I knew what your value proposition was. I knew where your passion lied. And I built a job around that. Do you, do you find and that see, you're a founder and a technologist? And so you have that, that founder mentality. Do you find that, uh, that it's hard to get other people within the organization to take risk or to act in that type of fashion or? You know, I, I don't actually, it, I, it's, it's, in, it is very infectious. Um, it's, but it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a switch that you have to turn on. So you have to spend you have to spend time with people and you have to get them into this. Once you get them into, the, into that mindset, you can't, you can't turn it off. I, uh, I've just hired a new head of product. Uh, I have not been a guy that's built out traditional product management organizations. I wanted to own it myself, but again, in, in scale fashion, I've, I've built up a product team now and uh, really smart guy. I mean, I'm so thankful that he's here. He's, he's a fantastic talent. And, uh, and so he said, he, he said, listen, he, he said, I really want this job. I really want to work at Telium. I'm super excited about this. He said, but for us to, for us to fast track this, he said, you and I need to do like a road trip together. We should go to Vegas or, uh, you know, we should go out to Palm Springs or something, but we need to spend a lot of time together and find out if we're, uh, if we're complimentary and we can, we can, can handle each other. And uh, brilliant idea. We did it. Um, we, we came out and hung out for, for a long time. Um, and I'm already seeing from him that, that entrepreneurial fire, that, that founder fire where, uh, where he's just, he, he's again, one of my mantras is reinspect the factory. And he really is, he's looking at stuff and saying, this is not right. I think we should do it this way. I think we should do this differently. And these are some fundamental changes about how we're doing things. Um, so I, I think people have it. I think the right people have it. Um, and it's exciting for me to engage with them and sit down and, and kind of excite them and just kind of give them some of my founder energy and hopefully they absorb it and then they start to use it in their job because I think it's important. I think founder energy is, is, is essential for success. I agree. And most of the companies start to die out when the founders are gone after, you know, what, what is it like 30 or 40 years is the average fortune 500 company length. It's like not incredible. You know, it, my, um, my, some of my VC investors, I, the ones that, you know, ones that have been around since like the A round and the B round, uh, just recently, probably in the last six months, pulled me aside and said, you know, took me out for, they, they, we had the board meetings together, but it's rare, it's rare that they'll go and say, Hey, let's go out for drinks. So yeah. we went out for drinks and, uh, and you know, and immediately it just turns to, 
so how are you doing? You know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. it feels like yeah. I'm talking to my mom. Um, but, but the idea, he said, he, you know, he said, you're, you're, you're over that 10 year mark. And, uh, and he said a lot of, a lot of founders get, get kind of itchy right now. And, and they think, you know, they want to, they want to go and they want to go do something else. He's like, how are you, you know, how are you feeling about it? And, and uh, for me, I, I don't know what else I would do. I, I, I love this stuff and I love the, uh, I, I don't have that much desire to go start something over. I, I like what we've built right now and I, and I, I love the people. Um, and then there's, there's this, there's this investment that, that I'm making in them. And I know that they've, they've put their trust in me and I've made my investment in them. And it's, it's too good of a thing to, uh, to move on and do something else. So, so I'm constantly re-energized as, as a founder to keep going out and doing this, this every day. And, and I, I don't see myself doing anything differently for the next 10 years. It's like, if you've got momentum, that's, that's the most attractive thing you could possibly have. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And you have, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a blank canvas with what we can do in the future. And I, you know, in, in some cases, the startup stuff is really fun, but, but, but for me, um, you know, now, now there are different challenges out there. Now, now there's like, there's different uh, summits that you want to hit. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking out the window of my hotel room and I'm looking out at the Minnesota Twins ballpark downtown, which is very cool. Um, in San Diego, we have a really cool ballpark downtown, Petco Park. And uh, I want that to be called Telium Park. And Ooh, so yeah, there we go. Come on now. That's the goal. That's that's the 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 naming rights are up are up in 2026. So uh, Oh you've looked into it. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's uh um I it was it's a funny story. I went I was playing at a golf tournament and uh, the president of the Padres came up and was doing a presentation. It was one of those like kind of like financial things where they give you a free round of golf, but you got to listen to their financial pitch beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so the the president of the Padres gets up there and and so he gives a speech and uh, he starts asking, you know, does anybody have any questions? And people are asking. I, I was I didn't want to ask any questions, but people people started asking questions that I didn't think were too were too bright. And so then I felt very comfortable. So they're like asking, like, do you think baseball cards will come back? And, you know, what do you think about steroids? And it's like, like, come on, these are, these are not good questions. So I raised my hand, you know, and I just said, hey, listen, uh, when does Petco lose their naming rights for Petco Park? And, and, he and he gave me a double take. He's like, that is a really weird question. And I said, yeah, I want to know. And he said, he said, well, why? And I said, I've got a business here in San Diego. And we're growing like crazy. And, and I, I'd love to put my, my company's name on that park when it's available. So, yeah, that's that's a, that's a big goal. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a vain goal, but it's, that's a goal. But I, but I would say that the other, the, the big goal for me that truly drives me is when I look at, when I look at all of my employees and every employee at Telium is, is a shareholder of Telium stock. One of the big things I look at is this concept of, of new car, new house and new life. And everybody that works at Telium is when Telium goes public or whatever we do is going to be able to get a new car. Some of them get a really nice car. Some of them will get some more modest cars, but it's, it's how many people do I get into that new house and how many people do I get into that new life category, right? How cool is it to say I started Telium and I turned out 50 millionaires out of San Diego, or I turned out a hundred millionaires out of San Diego, right? That's, that's, that's what drives me now because these people invested in me and I want to invest back in them. Yeah. And that's why I like you. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I like you because you like me. Yeah. That, it's like, 
but that's the that's the thing that that like really drives the greatest people ever because it's it's like you can only get so much money it's like the maslow hierarchy of needs right like you can have your house you can have your 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 car you can have your food you get those things covered and then it's just about doing something very difficult very great and helping out a bunch of people yeah. and it actually doesn't take that much work in life to get to that point where you're like the only other thing to do is just to do something great yeah. because i've covered all of my basic needs and that's why you know i listen i read the stories of all these billionaires and i read their books and i just constantly um, am inundated with their content and some of the greatest people uh, they say that their some of their biggest regrets were not setting their goals big enough because they got what they set out for it took it took 20 years but they they always get like the the 80 20 rule the 80 percent of the time they get what they set out for if they put in the work yeah 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 and so you're gonna get your you're gonna get the stadium that's that's easy and that's, then yeah then you got to get like a hundred people you know, into your uh, three stages, three to three stages. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever seen there's, there's a leadership thing where they put quadrants up there and there's like a, there's a happy quadrant, there's a cozy quadrant, a boring quadrant and a stressed quadrant. You ever seen that? No, but there's three I don't want to be in. Yeah. yeah so, so, so imagine like, like the top right is, is happy and the top left is cozy and the bottom okay. left is, is boring and the bottom right is stressed. And the idea is, you know, you get people that get into that cozy quadrant, you got to figure out how do I, how do I get them? How do I get them back productive? You get people that are in the boring quadrant. And so I find that that life is best right between that line between stressed and happiness, right? I, I always want to be stressed. Um, because then when you when you tackle the stress, you're really happy about what you've accomplished. And then you go back. And it's just sort of a ping pong game between stress and happiness. And so um, for me, having you know, we're 450 employees now having, having that many families, having that many people that are, that are tied to us. Uh, that's that, it keeps the pressure on. It keeps the stress on because I know that there are a lot of families that are counting on that stuff. Uh, and, uh, and I, I want, you know, I'm competitive in nature and I want Telium to be successful because I want it to be successful. And I think we're doing the right thing, but, but you take on that extra pressure of, of all your employees and you think, I got to go out there and do a fantastic job because these guys are holding down their job and I'm out doing mine and, and we're a team. Yeah. Before I was leading and I would hear like, before I was a leader and I would hear that whole, like, Oh, you don't work for the, you work for the team. You work for the, the leaders work for the team. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, whatever. Then you get into the position. You're like, Oh my goodness. Like you act like you actually do. Like I exist to find incredibly great people and work for the work very hard for them to make sure that they can get their paycheck. And it, yeah. It is. You're, you, you, you become a, you become an offensive lineman real quick. Right. I mean, it's like, you guys are going to be carrying the ball. I'm just blocking and getting things out of your way. Yeah. And, and then when you're talking about that quadrant with stress and happiness on that line, I'm living in that world. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I haven't been in the board quadrant or the other quadrant in a long time, because for me, it's like, this it's constantly stress happiness stress happiness but then what i found though is that as i go through this rhythm and i like mentally track it i'm always like what zone am i in where am i you're never stuck you're always going through something so i'm like okay right now i'm in the happy moment so what i need to do is like need to you know enjoy the happiness but don't let myself get too happy 
because I, I got to, you know, focus and use this energy instead of running around being happy. I got to use this energy to apply towards something. Uh, and then when the low comes, I'm like, okay, the good news about the fact that I feel horrible right now and that it's never going to work out and the sky is black is that the moment I realize this, this is the lowest point of the trough. This is the worst part is when I realize that like this sucks and I want to die. So that means it's only going to get better and I'm going to be on my path to a high. So then I get all positive again. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exactly what it is. I mean, that's, it's, it's, uh, Every time you see a challenge, it's it, it literally, it, it's just an opportunity, right? I mean, the, the world's not going to end tomorrow. So it's like, I don't have to fix all this stuff by tomorrow. Um, it's just an opportunity, right? Somebody somebody comes in and, and something goes wrong or we have a customer that says, hey, we, we, you know, we don't like the way this works or this is, you know, we have a scale. Pro- we have, I mean, we have. We have big challenges at uh, at Telium with with scale, and we're we're unfortunately unlucky with with the idea that we launch a new product, and then it's like, okay, well, who's going to be the first customer to use it? And it's like, I would, and honestly, I would love it. I would I would love it. And again, we'll work this out after the call because I want to get Telium working with Leaderbits. I want to I want to get you guys using our software, but I'd love it if. Leaderbits was the type of company that was rolling out some of our new features and trying them out from a beta perspective. Because yeah. the problem I get is that I roll out a new pro- product and, and we say, well, who are the first couple companies that want to use it? And they say, oh, Microsoft, IBM, The Gap, Facebook. I mean, these are all of our customers and they all have like massive, massive volume. I, I am very proud of this. In 2018, Google handled 1.2 trillion searches, right? That's a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. we handled three trillion events, two and a half times more than that. That's awesome. It's awesome. That's right? really awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we, um, we have to come back to the drawing board. Sometimes we'll, bu- we'll build a product and then realize, man, we got to do some refactoring on this stuff because it's got a, it's got a scale and it's, it's not scaling horizontally the way that we want it to. Um, and that's, that's a, that's like one of the lowest points in your career when you make a design and you build a product and you realize you got to go switch the engine out on it. Right. I mean, like, like, ah, we, 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 we bet on this software platform as our database and now we have to move off to another database and that's like major surgery. And so those are some very stressful low points, but same thing. They're just opportunities. You get through them. And when you get out the other side, then you get to that happy phase where you can say, Hey, Hey Google, you're two and a half times smaller than I am from a, from a volume perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, and so let's get let's get you some um, exposure to talent. I know you have a fantastic team, but you're growing. You always need great people. Um, you're dealing with a large volume of events. So, is there a specific industry or type of person that that you would that would be a good fit for? for your company? You, you know, that's 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 a really good question. Um, there the the gamut of of employees that we have is is really really broad i mean from um i i think i think if you look at the way that the that the industry is going i think it's it's around software usability it's around being open to to customer suggestions and being able to to listen to customers and be able to turn that out into requirements i do i do believe that engineers traditional engineers need to get a step closer to the customer. And I think they need to understand the customer more rather than just having a a 19 page PDF thrown onto their desk that says, go build this 
because I say so. So I, I think it's, I, I think around, you know, around the, the UX design, UX research, I think the world is, the world is going to be decided on, on usability and, and ease of use. And so I think if you build products that are always easy to use and easy to understand, those are going to be, those are going to be fantastic. I think information architecture is a big thing too. Not so much like, what do I name my documents, but, but how do, the, the documentation and the support documentation around, around content on how to use the product. So I think more video is going to come into play. And so I'm, I'm interested in people that, that want to build, that want to take risks on, on product design and want to build cutting edge usability and, and, and new design patterns, um, as well as people that, that understand that, that while engineering's job is to get, is to get software out of the factory, there's a whole other line of business out there that, that has the responsibility to put it out in the showroom and uh, polish it up, make sure that it's well described, very usable in nature, um, you know, well marketed, well organized. Those, those are the kind of people, I mean, I, the creative people, people that, people that, that, that look at uh, apps, and, and say like, wow, I really like, I really like the design of this app. I really like the flow or feel of this app, um, you know, versus this other one. And I'm going to move off of, off software solution X because I'm going to go to Y because I just like the way it feels. And we all have that, you know, we, we, we have our, our, our to-do list software and we have our calendar software and we have our note-taking software and we all choose different stuff because that, that software just, just connects with us. And so I, I, I'd like people that, that are passionate about connecting software to people. I guess that's the long winded answer. I think in a, in a, in a sentence. Well, no, I, I love it because I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I, I will choose products over design. Like I will choose a specific product because of its design, because I have to spend time there. It's like the building you want to spend time in. Right. Uh, but one of my favorite, just, just as a side note, one of my favorite docs that I have ever come across, um, Stripe, uh, yeah. like payment processor, their docs are like beautiful. Really? Um, oh yeah. I've been following Stripe since like the first year Stripe came out because I was using this horrible thing called authorize.net and I was complaining about it because it was just ridiculous to use. And somebody told me about Stripe. They're like, yeah. And I could, I literally did not believe that it was the way it was. I was like, what's the catch? You know, like you could just sign up and just do it. There's no, like, you have to meet with a person, go through underwriting, you know, like all this stuff. And then I was like, and they're built for developers. I was like, get out of here. And they won an entire industry through the hearts of developers. Yeah. That's why Stripe won. That's, and, and, and that's, that's what developers want. Developers want to be able to solve their problems on their own. And that's where that, that whole documentation and video presentation stuff where, where to showcase, showcase to developers how to do something. And then in some cases, I think you take the next step, which is to start to understand based on what the developer does in the tool to start to recommend uh, hey, these are some videos I think would be interesting for you uh, as new capabilities. And, and again, I want you to use more of my software. So that's that's the goal. That's that's the goal. There is just it's just better engagement. Oh, that's interesting. Like personalization of how the developers are using the platform. Yeah, dictating the content that gets deployed to them. Uh, right, right. And that's because because the idea is that in most cases you look at software and and you think. Um, 
Salesforce is, is an easy example to attack. There's a billion things that that software does, right? I, I don't scratch the surface on it, but if you understand my, my usage patterns, to be able to start clustering that and recognizing that, that other people that do what Mike does, they also do this, this, and this. So I'm going to showcase that to Mike to try to get him to use more of my software. Because at the end, I, I'm, I'm building, I'm building a, a stronger advocate, I'm building a stronger champion, and I'm hopefully building better retention. Is this like a spin-out project Telium's working on? No, nah, no, nah, nah. this, this, is, this is what we do. I mean, we, we, we do this a lot for like B2C companies, but, but when you start to get into subscription sort of models, which again, the world is going to subscription. You, I mean, you know this, yeah. um, you know, we're looking at, we're looking at, um, you know, the, 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 the subscription model vendors looking at just like churn prevention, like looking at somebody and saying, Hey, this person has, this person has stopped watching Hulu over the last six days. And that's an indicator based on their watching patterns leading up to, to this, that's an indicator that this person is going to churn. And, and again, with machine learning, we can get down to the point where we say, this person is going to churn in 17 days, 21 and 21 minutes. Um, to, to react to that signal, to, to get that prediction, say I've got a confidence score of, of 85% that indicates this person is going to churn, and now try to get in front of it by, by re-engaging them with, and I'm, I'm just using Hulu as an example um, because I was watching it last night. But the idea is, is uh, you know, I want to re-engage and I want to re-engage with more content. Now, then the idea is, what do I watch on Hulu? Like for me, I'm, 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 I can't, I can't sit down long enough and watch a movie. So I just have to have sitcoms cycling in the background so I can pick up jokes for my onstage presentations. And so, <laughs> so it's a lot of, it's a lot of Seinfeld. It's a lot of King of Queens. It's a lot mm. of sunny in Philadelphia. Dude, stuff like come that. on. Yeah. Yes. yes. We're going to hang out now. <laughs> I've seen every episode of Seinfeld like three times. Yeah. So that's, um, so it's, so I just have that like cycling in the background, but the idea is Hulu, Hulu should know. And they do know that those are the things that I watch. So don't recommend a, a documentary on, on drug trafficking out of <laughs> Mongolia. I'm not interested in that. Right. You know what I watch? I watch comedy sitcoms. So those are the things that, so that if I start to disengage, uh, with, with, with that, with that brand, with that product, whatever it is, bring me back, right. And bring me back by looking at what other people, um, that are like me enjoy. That's, that's, that's just something that, sh that's something that we will see happen more and more. We're in a wonderful time as consumers because businesses have to get good to, to keep and, and, uh, stay with our, to, to keep our money and to keep our business. Yeah. Well, we do that with, uh, we got Leaderbot. And so, yeah, Leaderbot, like we have a, I don't know if we've done this customization for you, but you define like a threshold and we will watch the leaders as they engage in their momentum. And then when they start to fall off, like, cause it happens, right? Cause you get yeah. busy, there's projects, there's things. Leaderbot will start sending you emails that are like motivational and then including past entries that you've done. Like, like when you had real big success with like, you giving credit to a team member and it turned out awesome. You're really surprised. And it'll leaderbot will say to you like, Hey Mike, remember when you did this, like with, with Susan or John or whatever, like keep up the momentum and take 10 minutes and click here. And so we, uh, re-engage, we call them re-engagement emails. Yeah. But yeah. Leaderbot will, uh, will get personal with you and motivate you. And then we have like, we designed it out. Like 
where he gets more intense. Well, I say he because it's anthropomorphic, but like he'll get more intense with you, and then he kind of like eases up, and like you know, then he gets more intense. And so we we design this cadence uh, for like maximum engagement because we're just sitting back here looking at the data, yeah. right? And we're just like, how do we create better leaders faster? And that's like our that's like our mantra here, right? And so when we look at um, when we look at the customer, like as much as I love the company. Uh, and I know it may be wrong to say in some regards, but like, I don't look at you, Mike, as the customer. I look at the individual as the customer, the individual using the product, yeah. because I know that as long as I keep making it the best possible product for that human, that, that everything else will come together because the company that's like reporting features and things like that. But as long as we, we focus the product on being the best it could possibly be uh, for the individual, then they'll stay engaged and continue to improve. I, I, it's, 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 we are going to hang out because, yeah. because we, we think very much alike. Um, I've said to my, I, I say to my employees on every onboarding, and I've said this for the last 10 years, if you, if you stay close to the problems of the customer and the challenges of the customer, you're always going to build a great business. And that's, uh, that's, that's the way it, that's the way it is. And, and like you're saying with the leader bot thing, you know, I mean, one industry that needs to do this, especially with me are like gyms. You know, like, hey, <laughs> remember when you were working out this many days, you lost this much weight, you know, you felt good, you were improving your, your, uh, you know, your cardio capabilities, whatever it is. Um, that's, I think that's the world we're going to, where it's going to be encouraging people to come back and do the right things, whether it be better health, smarter, you know, you know, remember last month when you read this book, you know, you should, you should, this is another book that you should look at reading. It's going to be sort of that sort of suggestive content or suggestive action that, uh, that I do think people want because we're so busy and we want to be, in some cases, we, we want to pick and choose everything we want to do. But in some cases it's like, listen, just make it easy on me. Just tell me, tell me what my next workout should be. Tell me what my diet should be. Tell me what book I should read. Tell me what show I should watch. Because, the, and, then, and then I have the choice to decide, yeah, I'm going to trust it or no, I'm not going to trust it. But you're putting more content in front of me. And that's, that I think is, is, is key. Yeah. That now I just need something for like my spouse that figures out what dinner is. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't want to think of it. Just let me pick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Right. You, yep. We could, we could make it rather than me getting you something and you being disappointed with what I get you. Let's change the model a little bit. Why don't yep. you go pick 10 things and I'll surprise you with the one that I choose, but, I, but you know that you're going to get something you wanted. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. It's a good time. It's a fun time. I love it. Well, I'll respect your time today. Cause it's uh it's 10 30 now EST. You have some amazing new customers to go uh, start working with. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, Joel, thank you very much. This was an absolute pleasure. Um, I, uh, I'd love to do it again. This, this is fantastic. Thank you, buddy. Talk soon. Right. Take care. See you. Bye. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer.